ನಿರಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪಂ ಭಕ್ತಾನುಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸಾ ನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೀತೃತ್ಮಿ ಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ತಿರಾಜಾಯೇಕಾನಂದಸೂರೈ ಸಚ್ಚಿಸುಖಸ್ವಾಪಹಾರಿಣಿ ಸೊ ಇನ್ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟೆಡ್ ದ ಫಿಫ್ತ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸ್ ಕರ್ಮಯೋಗ ವಿ ಹೆಲ್ಪ್ ಅವರ್ ಸೆಲ್ಸ್ not the world so that's the chapter uh, which we started in the last class and we found that swami vivekananda as such have uh, taken a bit bit, bit, bit different course uh, the from the very beginning the idea of karma karma yoga was swabhavaja karma so he will continue with that idea in the succeeding uh, lectures even in the same lecture in the second part but he starts here with the other ideas of karma that karma is not simply karma yoga the subject of karma is very vast in yoga and vedanta so it has some other implications and that's the thing which swami vivekananda have has just touched at the very uh, introductory phase of that fifth lecture so we saw that he was pointing out the importance of rituals just for a quick recapitulation that every religion has three parts what are the three limbs of each and every religion the philosophy the mythology and the rituals and we find that the rituals is something without which it becomes very difficult for us to hold on to the philosophy which is very abstract and how rituals help in the last class with the help of an example we were trying to understand that rituals apparently may appear to be of no use it has no scientific basis apparently it appears that it has no scientific basis it's all uh, practices which are meaningless but if we really try to understand the real implication of the rituals we will find it has a wonderful it has something wonderful effect in our spiritual life the example which we are giving is of ahangraha upasana where you have to internalize the ideals which we think uh, represents our ishta the chosen ideal represents the various values various spiritual ideals and in our spiritual life generally it happens always we think i am the sinner i am imperfect 
and all the ideas of perfections are in my lord my lord represents all those things so angraha upasana speaks of internalizing the values which the chosen deity represent i have to internalize how it can be done that's the concept of ahangraha upasana the vigraha has to be internalized within so that example which we were giving in the last class suppose a doctor has three or four children the doctor returns from his work and after returning from his work at home the first thing he does he try to relax he first opens his white coat he keeps his stethoscope he opens his shoes and the three and four children they come running some will get hold of the father's white coat wear it and move around the house posing as if he or she is the doctor some other child will grab the stethoscope with the same intention that she or she feels that as if he or she is the doctor and someone is wearing the father's shoes and moving around feeling identified with father so these are all meaningless acts all childish acts just by wearing the father's shoes one doesn't become the doctor just by wearing the white coat one doesn't become the doctor just by uh having the stethoscope one doesn't become the doctor so these are all mere childish acts but the father is happy the father knows very well that behind all these childish acts a motivation is working when they are trying to identify with their father through all these childish acts they are actually getting motivated how that one day we also have to become like our father a reputed doctor a well established doctor so all those apparent childish acts varied there is or not of the same type we find that especially in hinduism the rituals are so varied the way i practice my rituals may be totally different from the way you practice and so we find that sometimes uh, when we try to compare the hinduism with other religions we find we feel compelled that what is the common ground we as if have no common ground it is all totally so disorganized but we forget the wonderful concept of this ahangra upasana that all these rituals apparently has no meaning they may be varied but whatever i may be practicing that abstract idea that one day i have to become like my father a doctor it is something abstract for the child at the moment but by all those childish acts that motivation is getting stronger and stronger and this childish act will motivate him to really become a doctor in the future so now you will understand that the rituals though they may be apparently meaningless apparently varied with no point of uh, there is no meeting ground with the various rituals which we practice but they do motivate us to become more and more like our ishta like the divine we try to imbibe those divine qualities more and more in our life and that's how the rituals plays a great role in our spiritual life so we were just discussing it in the previous class and then we find that apart from this uh, even in addition to this three 
this philosophy, the mythology and the ritual, Swami Vivekananda brought into his discussion the fourth factor, that is the symbols. In all the religion, we find the symbols. And there also, Swamiji tried to uh, convince us the importance of the symbol. He was indicating that as a human being, we cannot just think even without the symbol. Even when you're thinking in your own mind, the language has got ingrained. You know, very interesting. Now we th- that uh, as from the childhood, we have learned a language. We think that the way of thinking is with words. We forgot the animals don't think with any language. Why to speak of animals? Even a deaf and dumb doesn't speak, uh, doesn't think with a language. They must be thinking with some other signs and symbols. So this language itself is a symbol. And this is a wonderful symbology by which uh, we as a human being could have thought of all the progress, this wonderful capacity of the human being to have this dual representation. As in the last class we were saying that a small child with a stick in his hand is just uh, what you say, they're everyone by saying that he's having a sword in his hand. So even a small child, this childish act actually speaks of something which no other creature can do, no other animal can do. To think the stick as the sword, no animal can do. This human uh, being has this capacity, this inherent capacity to think in the form of symbols, the symbol representation. There's a dual representation, to think one thing in another way. And that's how from this faculty, the language came, the mathematical notations came. And it has a great role to play in the human evolution. Uh, very nicely, it has been told that the entire evolution, how it was happening, that each and every uh, evolved creature was evolving by becoming stronger. That if I am stronger, I can be the predator and predator and just simply have the other animals as my prey. That's how the evolution was happening. So what we were, what the, how the evolution was happening, we were trying, we were just adding more and more muscles to our system. And we were adding more and more muscles, more stronger. As a human being, we will find there's a deviation. It's not by becoming stronger that we evolve. It's by becoming smarter. That's the language they use in the modern neurology. By smarter, by adding neurons to our brain. And that's how the brain has so evolved that it can imagine, it can visualize. Before anything it does, it can visualize the thing and accordingly it can uh, chalk out its way to reach, uh, to reach the goal. As a human being, we can do that. And this capacity has enabled us to evolve because the knowledge which our predecessors have acquired, that's not lost. Just think uh, a common example, a chimpanzee, suppose there's a quicksand, somewhere is a, a pit of quicksand. A chimpanzee falls there and dies or gets badly injured. And most probably we will find for the generations together it's happening. But for a human being, once I find somewhere there's a quicksand, just one simple notice will 
save the entire humankind. You just keep a notice that don't proceed here. There's some quicksand, uh, it's a danger. So that simple notification will save. It, we won't be repeating the same mistake again and again. That's how the knowledge can be passed on through the symbology. And in spiritual life, the symbols have played a great role that way. How? The huge, uh, that discussion we will come today. Uh, that's the, uh, the uh, what is it, the power of the words. That's, uh, that will Swamiji will bring that discussion today. But just to have a nutshell, I, the idea in a nutshell, what's the thing happening? That huge ideologies, just take the word Om, a simple notation Om. Behind that, you will find into a book, why a book? The volumes of books can be written just on that one symbol Om. So what has happened? That the vast gamut of spiritual knowledge gets encoded into the symbol. And now when we resort to that symbol, that immediately it sparks, like a spark plug, it sparks the spiritual, all the spiritual wisdom. And that enables us to internalize all the things which that symbol represents in our spiritual life. So that's the idea of symbology which Swamiji was speaking of. And then Swamiji brought the idea of thinking in the, uh, what you say that in the form of Nama Rupa, that our thoughts have two components, the name and the form. You will find a very interesting thing that in our life, any thought, whenever I'm thinking, two things are happening. I am conversing internally, though I may be not talking loudly, but internal conversation is going on and internal visualization is going on. If you're thinking of some certain person, you think, you just think of the name. First, you just, the name comes, uh, first the name comes into your mind and then the form, the form comes in there that your visualization, that you visualize the form and the name. So these are the two components of your thought. So that why we are just, Swamiji is bringing all those points that sometimes uh, we take the way to be the goal and we start criticizing the religion. We find that in Hinduism resorts to so much of idols. This, uh, all the idols are worshiped. If you take as the ultimate goal, it may be very difficult to convince whether the God is in that form. Yes, the devotee believes he's crystallized out of devotion, he has crystallized into that form. But even psychologically, it has a great importance to play in our spiritual life. Uh, the for a devotee, the God is having that form. Now, if you say that, is there any rational uh, way of explaining it? We may find that even for a devotee, it will say it's his faith or it's his realization which, to which I cannot relate. But how can I relate to every person the importance of image worship? There's a very important uh, factor in image worship. It helps to concentrate our mind much more effectively. Just when you are taking resorting, uh, you're resorting to the image worship, what is happening in my meditation, when I am thinking of the divine, I'm using some name to represent the divine that I am recollecting and also the form which that 
name represents. That also I'm visualizing. That way what happens, my mind becomes effectively controlled. Otherwise, as the thought has two components, name and form. So it may so happen that when I am thinking of God as an abstract idea, I may be repeating something uh, mentally, but my mind will be visualizing so many things and gets distracted. Why it happens? Because the visual factor I have not taken into consideration. That the mind, whenever it thinks has two components, it visualizes as well as, as, well as it has a having conversation. With the help of a mantra, you may take uh, care of the conversation, but the visualization, your mind is free to visualize anything. And then you will find that your repetition of uh, the God's name has become something very, very mechanical. Your mind is visualizing so many things and it's very difficult to control that mind because it's getting easily distracted. So when you take a form, then you are taking care of both the components of your thought, the name as well as the form. And then it becomes very easy to concentrate your mind. So these are the ideas with which we find Swami Vivekananda has started his uh, discussion on this chapter of Karma Yoga. These are the aspects of karma which are mentioned in our scripture, which we are not aware of. So now Swamiji will proceed to uh, not or this, the other aspects of this ritual worship, like the temple, the huge temple. Is it just a mere piece of architecture or is it having some spiritual implications? So that's the idea Swamiji will take up. Swamiji will, after that, take up the idea of this, this, the power of mantra. That mantra that which we repeat is, is extremely powerful. What are the various powers of that mantra? How it can help us in spiritual life? Just by repeating the mantra, we can really progress in spiritual life very fast because the mantra is actually encoded. It's a lot of power is condensed in it. There's what are the powers which are in the mantra? So that Swami Vivekananda will take up. So we will now refer to the text uh, to uh, just enter into the discussion of all those aspects of karma. So that, that's the idea with which we stopped our discussion in the last class. Every thought in the mind has a form as its counterpart. This is called in Sanskrit philosophy, Nama Rupa, name and form. It is as impossible to create by convention a system of symbols as it is to create a language. In the world's ritualistic symbols, we have an expression of the religious thought of humanity. So behind each this, all the ritualistic symbols, the thought, of the entire humanity, of the religious thought of that humanity is there. Uh, very interesting. Nowadays in uh, philosophy, there is uh, a special trend where they call that you study the language of any civilization, of any culture, and you will know the philosophy uh, which that culture resorts to, the philosophical ideas of that civilization, of that culture. 
just study the language. Uh, to give some funny example, you know that uh, in, in, as per the Vedic tradition is concerned, as per the yoga tradition is concerned, we speak of the ultimate reality as the attainment of Kaivalya. The Buddhists think that, uh, that the ultimate uh, goal is to attain the state of Buddha. Now, how this uh, ideology has entered into our day-to-day -day ordinary language, you know? If you study the language, you will find that behind it, the philosophy is there. So uh, in the Bengali, if a child, you find that if a child is a bit dull, the words they use are Kabla Buddhu. Now, you know, if you just go to the source of this word, you will find a wonderful meaning behind that. That the word Kabla came from Kaivalya. Kevala, from that Kevala, the word Kabla came. What has happened? That when you reach that highest state of spiritual realization, Kevala, that you are in no way associated with Prakriti. You alone exist by your own right as the conscious principle, as the Purusha. Kevala Purusha. That's the Kaivalya. So when you reach that state, the so Indian philosophy speaks of the state that your real, uh, the essence of your nature is something which is even beyond the mind. That's the basic difference between the Western philosophy and the Eastern philosophy and the Oriental, especially the Indian, all the philosophy which is based uh, from the Indian background. The basic difference is we think our real nature, our identity is beyond the mind. It transcends the mind. And in the Western philosophy, we find the soul is almost equated with the mind. And now, very interesting, the word Kabla, how it came, that when you reach Kaivalya, the state of Kaivalya, you have, re, you have gone beyond your mind. Now here, the child is a bit dull. So in a, it's an ironical way of saying, oh, he has already went beyond his mind. So he has reached Kaivalya. So from that, the word Kabla came. Buddhu. In, throughout India, you will find in the North India, the word Buddhu is very commonly used for one who is a bit dull-witted. Why the word Buddhu is the same? That Buddha, to attain the state of Buddhahood, you have bent, went beyond the mind. So this child is as if beyond the mind. His, uh, his mind appears to be like this. So it's an ironical way. It's not the, uh, it really doesn't mean that he's uh, have attained the Buddhahood. An ironical way of staying, saying that, okay, that as he's been dull, so he has, as if he's the state of Buddha, so he's Buddha. So why we are saying these words? That even if you study the language, in simple words, the names which we give, like Kushala, the word Kushala means Klesha Dagdha Purusha Kushala, the one who has got rid of all the afflictions. So these words, if you study the words, you will find that wonderful uh, philosophy is behind them. And if you just take the literature, you will find there's so many words are there which actually speaks of the philosophy, but they're used in our day-to-day -day life in ordinary language. So that's the expression, that's what Swamiji is saying. In the words, ritualistic symbols, we have an expression of the religious thought of humanity. It is easy to say that there is no use of rituals and temples and all such paraphernalia. Every baby says that in modern times, 
but it must be easy for all to see that those who worship inside a temple are in many respects different from those who will not worship there. So that's very interesting that those who worship inside the temple, Swamiji used to say a very interesting thing, that a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. That you all criticize rituals. These rituals has given you Ramakrishna. A tree is known by its fruit. So but with your rational mind, you may find no meaning behind it. But there must be some meaning, some real implications behind all those rituals. Otherwise, how can you find such a transformation in that person? And in all the world's religion, we will find what has happened, that a time came when we there's a revolution against the main source of religion, that it is all full of paraphernalia, rituals. Let us systematize it by uh, what, what all appeals to a rational mind, only that much we take, rest all we let us filter it off. And we find that in all the religions it has happened that the reformation came by, uh, by giving more importance to the rational aspect. But you will find a very interesting thing. The so-called saints, the so-called spiritual giants have all actually emanated from the traditional way not from the reformed religion. The reformed religion which appeals to our reason, from that you will never get the so-called spiritual giants. The spiritual giants are always from that traditional uh, religion values, religious values, which has a lot of paraphernalia, which has a lot of uh, rituals. Even you will find that the world's most intelligent, uh, the, 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 really the biggest scientists, the greatest scientists, have been produced by the traditions who are highly ritualistic. You go back, if you find the Jews, like the Hinduism, the Jews have, are also have elaborate rituals. Throughout the, our history, you will find if anyone has flourished, it is the Jews. Again and again, a lot of persecution has happened. Rationally, we have tried to uh, judge the religions and say the, 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 that religions is good, this is bad, and all those things we have done rationally. But if you have to judge a tree by its fruit, just show that which religion could have produced so many great person. Or Einstein was a Jew. They will find many scientists even in the present day that because of the ritual, all the rituals, meaningless rituals, forget even about the spiritual thing, the rituals speaks of regimentation. At particular part of the year, at particular time, you have to do certain things, you have to fast, you have to observe certain things and you may with a rational mind you will find it's meaningless but what it is doing it is regimenting your mind disciplining your mind it is not allowing your mind to just follow its vagaries and that minds become very keen very sharp very focused and we get the giants not only spiritual giants even in science even all the fields you will find that from all those ritualistic background the with all the giants in all the fields we are finding. So they have some meaning. If we try to just give too much importance to our reason, we will prove ourselves to be the greatest fool. And that's the thing Swami Vivekananda is just indicating. But it is, it must be easy for all to see that those who worship inside a temple are in many respects different. Means By different, he means much, much evolved from those who will not worship there.
There's a tremendous overhauling of the personality we find by resorting to all those rituals. Therefore, the association of particular temples, rituals, and other concrete forms with particular religions has a tendency to bring into the minds of the followers of those religions, the thoughts for which those concrete things stand as symbols. And it is not wise to ignore rituals and symbology altogether. Just to give a common, as soon as the sentences become very meaningful, it, uh, if we can find some examples. In the Indian tradition, very interesting. If you uh, just go to any temple, you will find the Garha, the Sanctum Sanctorum, the, the temple may be huge, but the Sanctum Sanctorum, where the deity is there, where the deity is installed, that place is very small and it's dark. Even in the modern uh, times, you will find that those who are of that, uh, those who were trying to stick to the tradition, they won't allow electric light to be in the Sanctum Sanctorum. It's generally dark, only with some dia, with the lamps, you can light that place and see the deity. It's dark, it's a small place, the entire temple may be very big. And you will find doors all around. In many of our traditional temples, there will be exactly nine doors in the Sanctum Sanctorum. And what happens? Whenever any offering is done to the deity, all the doors will be closed. Sometimes you visit the temple, you find that the uh, external, the Nath Mandiram is open, but the Garvagriya, the Sanctum Sanctorum is closed. And they say that offering is going on wet. After the offering is over, the doors will be open. Why the doors are closed at the time of the offering? Actually, there's, there's a wonderful philosophy behind it that here you will find that behind all these temples, that's what Swamiji is saying, the association of particular temples, rituals, and other concrete forms with particular religions has a tendency to bring into the minds of the followers of those religions, the thoughts for which those concrete things stand as symbols. A very interesting thing, we get so habituated with all those concrete forms, we never search for the meaning behind it. But if you search, you will find wonderful meaning is there. That in our scripture, that what is being mentioned, as in the Upanishad, it has been mentioned that we are a being. If our body is like a, a, a city with nine gates. Navadware Pure Dehi. The nine gates are the two eyes, two ears, two nose, six, mouth, seven, and the organ of excretion and procreation, eight, nine. So these Navadware Pure Dehi, the one who is indwelling in this city, the city of nine gates. And it's very difficult to find the one who is sitting there. Why? Because again in the Upanishad they say, very interesting, this Paranchi Khani Vyatrinath Swayambhu. The Lord has inflicted the senses in such a way it always looks outside. It always looks outside. It never looks within. Parak Pashyati. It always looks outside. Parak means outside. Na Antaratman, not inside. Kaschid Dhira Pratyagatman Ekshat. There are few fortunate calm souls who want to see what is within. Pratyagatman. These two words are very important. Parak and Pratyag. 
Parak means moving outward. Pratyak means moving within. The Lord has inflicted the senses in such a way. The entire mantra goes uh, is like this: Paranchi khani vyatrinat swayambhu, tasmat parang pashyati na antaratman, kashchit dhira pratyagatman aikshat, avritta chakshu amritatvamicha. Very interesting that a few wise soul they understand that if i my attention is diverted by all the so called the phenomenal existence with my senses i am moving out and constantly interacting with that as long as these nine gates are open i can never realize the one who is the indweller of this body so what we have to do that avritta chakshu by chakshu by eyes actually all the senses are indicated you close that avritta you just close them stop the interaction calm down the mind then you will find the one who is indwelling as the atman as the your the uh, antaratman in the core of your being so the core of your being is the sanctum sanctorum the nine gates are the nine indriyas the see that the entire temple actually is a representation of your personality as long as the nine gates are open you can never commune with the divine so whenever you have to offer to the divine you have to commune with the divine you have to interact with the divine close the gates and then only the offering can be done and the sanctum sanctorum is always dark why the so called physical light doesn't enter the heart where the your this antaratman where the core of your being is existing it's not the physical light it's the spiritual light it's that's the thing which is illuminating your heart so that's a very small space angushtha matra you just now relate all these things with the shrine angushtha matra purusha the one who is indwelling in your heart he is of the size of the thumb that small then is the lord that small no sri ramakrishna again is giving a very nice example that in your house you have access to each and every uh, section of your house anywhere you can travel go but when the guest comes you meet him in the living room you just sit in the living room and uh, have conversation with your guest there you just don't roam about with him in the entire house so sri ramakrishna is saying that god is everywhere but the heart is his is the meeting room is the living room of god bhakte hridaye bhagavaner boithokkhana the heart of the devotee is the living room of the divine means like just like the light is present everywhere but to see the light i is the center it is just the eye through which you can see the light but light is all pervading sound is everywhere but to hear it it the seat of the sound is my ear similarly the spiritual the non dual conscious principle is all pervading it's not local but in our uh, what you say this in a psychophysical existence it gets localized as if in my heart to realize that you have to close the indriyas that small place where as if it's dwelling 
where it can be realized that to realize that you have to close the doors so now you find this how wonderfully any temple you go these are the common things the sanctum sanctorum is small the temple may be huge the nat mandiram where all the devotees are congregating it's may be huge but where the lord is sitting sanctum sanctorum is very small it's dark only with the lamps you can light it there are gates all around so now you will find it is actually the representation of our own this human personality and it speaks of the spiritual ideal what it close you have to stop the distractions of the mind vagaries of the mind you have to close the outlets and then only you can commune with the divine who is the core of your being so now you will find that what swami ji is saying does do make sense therefore the association of the particular temples rituals and other concrete forms with particular religions has a tendency to bring into the minds of the followers of those religions the thoughts for which those concrete things stand as symbols and it is not wise to ignore rituals and symbology altogether so this helps how much it helps just by this uh, symbologies if you just have it in the back of your mind immediately it can transport you to some high spiritual sublime uh, contemplation the study and practice of these things form naturally a part of karma yoga so generally by karma yoga uh, we mean nishkam karma and just whatever actions we are doing we do it without hankering for the result is karma yoga so there is no need for rituals there is no need for this elaborate worship we may think but here swami ji is saying that they had played a great role in the in our spiritual history right oh, some battery Ah, sorry for the disturb. So, in the human history, we'll find it has a great role to play. So, just by rationalizing our spiritual life, we make it shallow. That behind all the rituals, just like the way in the software programming, you that I I may not know the programming, but I still resort to the uh, software programmer. I know that. ultimate result is something which i desire i'm going to get through that similarly we should take this entire paraphernalia of rituals as a software programming which our rishis through their spiritual life have developed we may just the way i don't know the software language that doesn't mean it has no utility here also i don't know the software language behind all those rituals but the result the result is the important thing through all this programming at last we find that the overhauling of the personality has happened and that's why swami ji is not uh, simply neglecting that part of the karma that nowadays we say that the, the vedas karma kanda is of no it is obsolete it is of no use but swami ji is bringing into the discussion because it has a great role to play in our life if we take it with the proper perspective so now swami ji will proceed Uh, 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 with the to the discussion where the verb relation of the word with our thought 
the word actually is indicating the mantra. We will come to the discussion gradually. There are many other aspects of the science of work. One among them is to know the relation between thought and word and what can be achieved by the power of the word. So uh, gradually we'll find that Swamiji is bringing various, uh, what you say that the various ways the mantra can really help us to evolve spiritually. The first, there are three powers which he has discussed here. He has not named it, but while reading it, uh, we will try to relate to these words and we will find the first thing he's speaking of is the Guru Shakti. There is the power of the Guru. It's a very important thing. See that how the word has helped us in spiritual life. You have heard that the Gayatri mantra is very powerful. We say that how these mantras become powerful. Through ages together, these are the mantras through which various sadhakas have resorted to. And by repeating these mantras, gradually they have evolved spiritually. And not only that, they have went to the highest realization. So here, that's the thing which is being indicated here, that they have gone to the highest realization by uh, contemplating on those mantras. And that makes the mantra powerful. How it makes powerful? That when you repeat, you immediately are getting connected to that mental vibration, the thought vibration, which has been created by all those sadhakas by repeating that mantra. Immediately you get tuned to it. You may not feel very convinced by this idea. But this idea, you will be convinced if I give another example. Suppose I am not in a very good mood and somehow I, uh, someone takes me to some temple or to some shrine. And suddenly I find without any so-called conscious attempt from my own side, my mind has suddenly changed. It has sublimated. It feels relaxed. It feels very calm, tranquil. And suddenly I feel that how it has happened, just by coming to this place, how it has happened. It's not something miraculous. Actually, what is, hap what is happening? Tirthi, in our scripture, they say, Tirthi Kurvanti Sadhava. The Tirtha is not a miracle. It has not, in, not been created in the heaven and thrown on the earth. And we go there and feel that sublime atmosphere. No. Tirthi Kurvanti Sadhava. For ages together, the sadhakas, the spiritual uh, this practitioners, they have went to that place. And there they were thinking holy thoughts, leading a good life. Those thought vibrations are saturating that atmosphere. When you go to the shrine, the same thing happened. When we go to the shrine, what we actually do, we just think like what, that what, all the problems of life, let us forget for the time being. Let me go and try to commune with the divine. Maybe for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it's possible, I go. That let me just get rid of all my worries, tension. Let me try to go and relate to the divine. That's all I'm doing. And that place that way becomes a storehouse of all those mental vibrations. That's why it's told 
very that in the place in a religious place never just go for chit chatting that way we are actually affecting the atmosphere it's not only i'm harming myself already the consolidated effort effort by which that atmosphere has been created i actually spoil that don't chit chat don't uh, just spend uh, spend time by gossiping or just simply relaxing in a tamasic mood don't do that try to contribute to that already uh, that uh, storehouse of that spiritual vibration so that whenever we need that when we are dejected when we are uh, miserable in life we have gone through some bad experiences we go to that place immediately we find that vibration so we will find that the thought vibrations are something which is a palpable fact that's why swamiji is saying a very interesting thing that if you have not done a single good act in your life you have just simply what you said that uh, renounce the world went to a cave far away from the society and just resorted to meditation and just you have uh, thought a few good thoughts know it for certain it is not going to be lost you have already done something great those thought waves are never going to be annihilated as vibration they always stay there anyone who gets tuned to it immediately gets the benefit from that vibration just the way when you are tuning your radio or your tv to a particular frequency immediately you find that what has been transmitted in that frequency you immediately avail that the same thing happens with the mantra the mantras are very powerful that way so many sadhakas have went to the realization by repeating that mantra for ages and when we resort to that that's the guru shakti you can say the behind the mantra that all the gurus all the my spiritual predecessors they have already created that vibration that what tirtha is in the physical plane the mantra is the same thing in the mental plane that mantra immediately you are resorting to that so there's a wonderful power behind the mantra there's a first aspect which uh, this there's a relation between the thought and the word and it can what can be achieved by the power of the word this word gets powerful by successive by the contemplation of the successive generations in every religion the power of the word is recognized so much so that in some of them creation itself is said to have come out of the world in all the religions this is a second aspect here the idea of vija will come we will come to it gradually that god is was one with the world even bible we find all the abrahamic religion believe that it is in the old testament so all the old testament is common to islam to the jews to the christians it is a common scripture to all the three So in all the abrahamic religions the idea that uh, that before the creation the, uh, that there was a word and god god was one with the word in our religion also we find the idea of shabda brahma very interesting uh, it's in the tantra which that idea of shabda brahma has developed in vedanta in yoga it always explains the subjective way of realizing the word 
just uh, the example which we always give when i see the red flower the redness is actually thrown by the mind the only thing i am sure of there is something what it is i don't know the easiness the existence only i can assure but tantra has actually explained the objective reality by saying that shiva and shakti are abhed means the absolute reality finds when it is in the words of sri ramakrishna it's very simple that when a snake is lying coiled motionless it's the same snake which is crawling the snake which is lying motionless is the same same snake which is crawling so beyond that all the what you say that the phenomenon the absolute the sada shiva is there who is finding expression as shakti is the same reality shiva and shakti are not separate and when it finds the expression as shakti in tantra the idea of vibration energy means vibration and wherever there is vibration there is sound so the vibe this vibration has been termed as nada and that nada is again that nada is finding expression as shabda brahma very interesting when the sound is yet to be differentiated when the world is ready for creation but the yet the creation is yet to happen that sound is undifferentiated that is equated with this photo the omkara even in science you will find very interesting it has something to do with the, uh, the you know the when the uh, idea of big bang was uh, uh, conceptualized there was a, a a large section of the scientists never believed in it there was a controversy that uh, whether the, there was a difference of the opinion that big bang really had it really happened or not and then two scientists have this this penzias he got nobel prize for it he somehow discovered that a constant vibration is going on in the entire universe the rim and that he termed as the remnant of the big bang the remnant of the big bang so we find here is a wonderful this idea we we just try to understand with the science to certain extent that this when the creation just happened it's all undifferentiated that is equated with the omkara very interesting even when you pronounce om it is the most undistorted sound you just see when you are just pronouncing a ah, your tongue is not touching any part of your mouth u the a ah is as if rolling out as u the tongue again is not touching any part of your mouth and you end the sum sound by ma again the tongue is not touching the lips are just closing and the ma sound comes out so it is the most undistorted sound omkar om this omkara becomes limited when the tongue starts touching the various parts of our mouth when you are saying k you just see the middle of your tongue touch the palate ch the uh, front portion of your tongue is touching the upper uh, what you say the, the teeth the uh, front part of the palate so like that the various parts of your mouth is being touched by the tongue to distort to limit the pronunciation pronunciation of the om very interesting in tantra what they are saying the shabda brahma which is undistorted now 
how the world is manifested, all the things which we are seeing, how it is manifested, that all the things which you are seeing is the limited expression of that ultimate Omkar. Just when I, uh, just the way I touch my tongue with the mouth and the sound gets limited. Here also they are saying the sound by your Ichha Shakti. That Ichha Shakti is like the seed, the Bindu. These ideas are in Tantra. You know that when suppose you, any Ichha, that suppose you, uh, when you, in your mind you have a desire, that desire is just like the seed. Now, after the desire, what you do? You have to plan how to get it. Anything you desire. After that, immediately that I have to become a doctor. So this, I will become a doctor. This idea is the seed. Now, or what is the plan I have to study? All those things, uh, all the courses I have to go through. All those plans are the jnana or the kala that for becoming a doctor, this aspect of knowledge, it's not the entire knowledge, this aspect of knowledge, I have to practice. So Ichha Shakti results in Jnana Shakti. And then once you know that what all things you have to go through, now the real practice starts. You have to really study. Kriya Shakti comes to picture. So the Lord with that infinite power, when is finding manifestation in this, all the things of the world, A, B, C, D, whatever it may be, First comes that Bindu, the seed, as the Ichha Shakti. That is Tamas. Why it is Tamas? Because still it is not finding any expression through uh, plans or through action. And then comes the Jnana from the Ichha, that the Bindu. What comes? The Kala, the particular aspect. That's why you will find the word Kala is used for all the arts which we pursue, like singing, practicing musical instruments, dance or any particular branch of knowledge is called Kala. That particular, that the knowledge is infinite. To achieve this goal, this Bindu, this seed, which has evolved as a desire, I need a particular plan, particular way of knowledge. That becomes the Kala. That's the Sattva aspect. And then from that, the Kriya. Once you have the blueprint, now you act on it. First, you have the desire to build a house. The next thing is you have the blueprint and then the real work starts. So here also, that's the first, the desire is the bindu, is the seed. And from that comes the blueprint and from the blueprint, the entire creation. So now you will find very interesting that for each, that whatever I'm seeing is an expression of the Shabda, of the word, Shabda Brahma. In a limited way, it is expressing itself. So in Tantra, very nicely, they have explained the objective universe. In the Yoga and the Vedanta, they explain the subjective universe. In Tantra, we will find they have developed it in such a way to explain the objective universe. And that's the idea actually which Swamiji is speaking of here when he says that uh, The external aspect of the thought of God is the word. Means God, when he's finding expression as Shakti, it is the vibration. That vibration finds expression as the sound. And that sound is the word which has been spoken of in the scriptures. Now, why is Swami speaking here? This is the second aspect of that mantra Shakti. That when you are resorting to the meditation of that Omkara, or a very limited aspect of the divine in form of other vijas, 
you are actually that way uh, going to the vija, the seed from which the power has evolved. And that when you just nurture the seed in time, the tree is uh, bound to come up. So from the, uh, from the seed, the sapling will be there. From the sapling, the tree will be there. So that's why the mantras are called like Vija. There's like a Vija Shakti. There's the power of God from which the entire creation has evolved. So the first is the Guru Shakti. The second is the Vija Shakti. And then this uh, actually, uh, the, what I have discussed, that's actually been, uh, uh, I just prepared a note here. So I can just read out so that you can also have a very comprehensive idea of what we have discussed just now. That in the words of Sri Ramakrishna, Shiva and Shakti are identical. A snake while lying coiled motionless is the same snake when it is crawling. When Shiva finds the expression as Shakti, there is vibration, spandan, kampan or nada. And wherever there is vibration, sound, that is Shabda, is inevitable. Om, the primordial vak, the primordial sound, represents the Shabda Brahman, which is the root and essence of everything. Its partial manifestation gives rise to three forms of energy, namely Ichha Shakti, the Tamas aspect of Shakti, which is referred as Bindu, Jnana Shakti, the Sattva aspect of Shakti, which is referred as Kala, Kriya Shakti, the Rajas aspect of the Shakti, which is referred as Nada. Now, this Nada, the Kriya Shakti Nada is not the same as the Nada at the primordial stage. The Nada that is said to be the first cosmic vibration is not the same as Nada that represents Kriya Shakti. Nada as first cosmic vibration is undifferentiated and beyond all limiting adjuncts. Nada that represents Kriya Shakti is differentiated and limited to the way an Ichha finds expression through specific Kala. That's as we told that all each and every object is a limited uh, manifestation of that ultimate divine uh, Shakti. Even in science, you will find the scientists are in search of that unified field that all the various, uh, uh, with science, with all its discovery speaks of only four types of energy, the gravitational, this uh, energy, the uh, electromagnetic energy, the nuclear force. Very interesting, within the nucleus, uh, there's a force which is keeping them intact. There's a strong nuclear force. The strong nuclear force and electrons and the protons, the attraction is a weak nuclear force. So these four types of force only science knows. And now they're searching that there must be a unified field from which all these various forces has evolved. So the same thing we will find here that the Nada, the undifferentiated uh, Shakti is like that unified field from which all the limited Shaktis have emanated. So why Swamiji is bringing to the, the, this point in discussion? To point out that as in all religions, even in uh, Vedas, the same idea we find that the word is God. So by resorting to that uh, mantra, we can actually uh, get what, what all uh, this power is encoded in that word. That power starts decoding in our spiritual life. So that how, that's how the mantra's power works. The mode as described in the above manifestation of the Shabda Brahman explains the objective reality. So that just in the form of the figure I have just shown in this stress and hurry of our materialistic life, 
our nerves lose sensibility and become hardened the older we grow the longer we are knocked about in the world and more callous we become and we are apt to neglect things that even happen persistently and prominently around us human nature however asserts itself sometimes and we are led to enquire into and wonder at some of these common occurrences so here swami ji is as if summarizing by saying that the world has such subtle role to play in our spiritual life but because of the humdrum of our day to day life we can never get hold of the subtle aspects we simply neglect them and that's why the the, the tremendous power they have we are not aware of them at all and we simply uh, are not uh, at all uh, what you say that uh, getting interested motivated in our spiritual journey once we know the significance of it just calm down and think of it they can really motivate us to resort to those practices and we will find the spiritual uh, evolution starts in leaps and bounds once we have the faith in these ideas of the spiritual uh, wisdom which has been spoken of and start practicing it means all the discussions at last should enable us to get motivated to start the practice our real spiritual journey starts the day one is when we start practice as long as we are discussing it's only somehow helping us to clear our mind so that we get motivated to start the practice that's why it is told those who have the simple faith they are the blessed one because from the very day one they start the practice they did not have to go through that unnecessary uh, mental rigmoroles this from the very beginning they have somehow resorted to that faith and start their practice they are the real blessed one so all this discussion is actually to take us back to that conviction that what this 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 uh, scriptures has spoken of as the power of the word power of the mantra we let us try to have a conviction in those words and start our spiritual journey by resorting to them then you will find that the spiritual journey can just be in leaps and bounds it can take us to any heights of our spiritual journey so with this we stop our discussion there is another other aspect of this mantra which we will take up again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today pranam maharaj swami ji pranam swami ji namaskar swami ji thank you pranam swami ji pranam thank you